Father, we thank you that, that we can anchor our hopes in these glorious truths, that you have revealed who you are in, in your scripture. You've revealed the truth of your, your plan of redemption and your act of redemption through your son, Jesus Christ, and that we can anchor our hope in all of these things as we recognize the truth of, of who you are and what you've done. And even more than that, we thank you, Lord, that you've revealed, Lord, what is to come. Lord, we recognize that, the, that there are details that we would love to know that you have not told us, but you have told us what is important. And you have told us what we do need to know. You have told us what we need to know to equip us for everything we need for life and for godliness, Lord, to be able to anchor our hope and to, to anchor our, our lives and our motivation in the fact that, that Christ is returning and he will return and he will set all things right. And so we thank you for that. We pray that, that we, would, we would seek to understand these things but more, more than just understand them with our minds, but that we would, we would grasp them with our hearts, Lord, and cherish them in a way that it would bring a transformation in our lives, that we would live in light of that day. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we have been talking about this idea of the doctrine of the last things. The, the fancy theological way of saying that is eschatology. And we started first of looking at really general agreement, which is eschatology is not just about what happens to the universe as a whole, but just what happens to also to us as individuals. And we started with the personal eschatology is that we would recognize that it's something that all of us as Christians can agree on is that our personal eschatology is we're all going to die, right? We're all going to die. And at the same time, we recognize that, that death, although an enemy, it's a conquered enemy. Because to be absent with the body is to be home with the Lord. So that's a, a, a near unanimous agreement there amongst, uh, amongst Christian brothers and sisters. And we recognize that we look at beyond our personal eschatology to, to the eschatology of the universe, there are some disagreements. We're going to get into those. Lord willing, we'll finish this section and be able to move into some of those disagreements next week. But before we, the, the, the focus is often is so much on the disagreements Right? The focus is so much, even in commentaries and even in, in theology books, the focus is wanting to get into the disagreements on why my position is right and other positions are wrong on the issue of the millennium or the rapture or some of these aspects that, that in fact, the truths that are most important, that, that at least I would say most emphasized in Scripture, are, are actually neglected. But those are the truths that are most emphasized, but they're neglected because... That, that, those are the ones that we agree on. That those are the basic tenets of, of the Christian belief. But, so we want to we wanna make sure we're anchored in those first before we move on to the disagreements. And that, what, what the, 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 the scriptures are most emphasizing is in, in looking at eschatology of the universe is the return of Christ. Is, is the return of Christ. That, that what is it that makes the millennium the millennium? It's the return of Christ. What is it that makes the rapture significant? It's the return of Christ. What is it that makes it all these, these end times eschatological? What gives them emphasis? What gives them meaning? It's the return of Christ. That's what anchors everything else, right? And so, and, and the term that is often used, especially by, by Paul in the New Testament, is this parousia, this coming, this presence of Christ. And so, that's what we want our focus to be. 
In fact, that we, as we tried to reflect that, as I said in the change in our, our statement of faith several years ago at the, at the, of the church, is that to emphasize that, that what we believe is we believe in the personal and bodily return of our Lord Jesus Christ, the coming of Christ at a time known only to God, demands constant expectancy, and as our blessed hope, motivates the believer to godly living, sacrificial service, and energetic mission. That's, that's the cornerstone, and that's what that Scripture would emphasize, and so that's what we want to make sure that we are emphasizing. So we started looking at this return of Christ, and we started looking at, first of all, that his return is described as a, def, as a definiteness about his return, that Christ definitely and certainly is returning. And, 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 he, and he's talked about how. That this was a, a personal return, that Christ himself is returning. It's not just that he's sending a spirit, but that he himself is returning and that this is a, a physical return. It's not just some spiritual return, that, that Christ is with us spiritually, as, as our brother Ron pointed out two weeks ago. Christ is with us, but there is a promise of a physical return that, that, that is, is listed, that sometimes in, in the creeds are listed as a bodily return, which is in contrast with ideas of things like the, the Jehovah's Witnesses that would say that, well, there was this return, but no one really knew in this, you know, October 1st, 1914, he came, and we know, but no one else really knew that there's a physical and glorious return. So there's a definiteness to that that, that, that we expect and long for. We also look, though, that there's an indefiniteness. He is returning. He is returning in a personal and a physical way. And yet there's an indefiniteness of, well, as, as our statement of faith says, um, at a time known only to God, right? That's taken right out of what Jesus says in the Gospels, right? Um, that's, that's what we looked at last time in Matthew 24, is that he's, he's very clear about this, that the timing's not known to the angels, not even known to the Son. It's known only to the Father. So in, in the emphasis of Jesus, and, and systematic theologies love this, right? Because it gives debate. Well, how much does the Son know? And if the Son doesn't know everything, then is the Son really fully God? And, but that's not the emphasis, right? The emphasis in that passage, let's look at it really. Turn there to Matthew 24. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. Just, just adding to your injury list, huh? So Matthew 24, verse 36, Jesus says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. The focus here is not the omniscience of the Son, right? Now, there's a secondary discussion and looking at what does this mean? What did Jesus know? What didn't he know? But if Jesus is God, then certainly he's omniscient. So how does that work? Those are all discussions that theologians love to to debate. And and we can try to look at, at, at various scriptures to put that together. And those are good. Those are good discussions. They're fun discussions. We've had those in class. But that's not the point, Right? What is the point? What, what is the point of this, this, this? Jesus was saying, not even the Son, not even I know. What's the point of that? The point is that you're supposed to be ready. Yeah. It's the point if you think you know, and, and I don't even know, then someone's wrong here and it's not Jesus. <laughs> and so then he goes on to say that you, because you don't know, you're to live in constant expectancy. And so that there is 
that, that is really this, this idea of, of um, that, that, that we see that it's, it's uh, of that, that idea of his timing. And so, and again, he, it, he's saying that no one knows the day or hour. That doesn't mean he's, that idea of day or hour is not saying, but that means you can know the month or year or decade, right? <laughs> He, that, 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 again, that's, that's pressing language beyond what it's meant to be. And, and this is talking about the timing, right? And so, so we, that's where we're looking. There's a definite of his return and there's an indefiniteness of his return. Any questions before we, that's, that's where we've been. That's where we were two weeks ago. Um, sum that up in a couple minutes here. Any questions before we move along? You know, yes. Uh, not so much a question, but uh, we also got to be aware that uh, we're as close to heaven as our next breath. Yeah. So on a personal basis, yeah. we don't know when we're going to be meeting the yeah. Lord and escaping from this planet. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the uh, end times is interesting. Yeah. But really, you need to be prepared for it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's the, the emphasis on, when, when you see that the emphasis is on the expectancy and the expectancy, as we're going to see, especially as, as you go further in the New Testament, expectancy as a motivation for holiness and, and for perseverance and for some of the other truths. When you see that, you realize that it's the same thing with when we, you, you tie in personal eschatology, right? Is that, that no, you know, the, 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 the Father has our days numbered, right? And so we don't know what that number is. It's similar language, right? That we don't know what that number is, but he does have them numbered. So, yeah. Other, other questions? Thoughts, comments before we move on? Maybe. Okay. Because Christ was on earth at that point, mm-hmm. as the son, he wouldn't know. There were some things he didn't yeah. know. Yeah, and, and that's why you, you can look at, in the theological discussion, this aspect of, of um, when you look at, you're looking at one person, two natures, mm-hmm. right? So that, that in the, the best, I think the best explanation, going back to the Council of Chalcedon, is this idea of there is, is one person, two natures. So one person, Jesus, has two natures. He's truly, fully man, truly, fully human, or, and truly, fully God. And so that in his humanity, right, that, that, that he, does, he does not know. And, 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 the, and the theologians would say, because to part of Isaiah, Isaiah would define part of what it means to be God is to know, right? Isaiah would say, I am the Lord, there is no others. How, here's how you know that I am the Lord. I declare the end from the beginning, that part of the basic definition of what it means to be God is omniscience. And so we see that, and, and we see that that's not denied by Jesus, you know, in, in his claiming of divinity and other things. But we see that that aspect of him having two natures, we see that in his humanity, um, the, the, that in his human nature that he did not know. That's probably the, the way that so theologians would. Kenosis said he set aside some of yeah, but the kenosis, so she's talking about Philippians 2, where he says he emptied himself. But again, you, what type of empty? It's an emptying by taking. So it's not that Jesus is setting aside his divinity. He's saying, I am no longer divine. He's actually emptying himself by taking on something in addition to his divinity, Philippians 2 says. He's taking on, in addition, a, another nature of not only a divine nature, but also a human nature. And so then we're asking, how does one person have two natures? There is no other example we have to compare. There is, there is nothing else in creation that we have to compare. That What is described in the incarnation is a, a unique and glorious truth that we can try to understand the best we can of what scripture is presented, but the scripture is concerned more about 
what that means more than how that works. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but again, that, 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 I think those are interesting points in discussion, but the, the, the focus, though, is the aspect of we just don't, we don't know the timing, and so that we should always be, um, be ex- expecting that. So let's, um, let me see, where am I going? Okay, so, so the, the indefiniteness is talking, the timing, and also certain aspects of, we talk about the imminence, the, 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 the closeness of his return. Um, and so, see, the takeaway, and, and Dave, Dave, Dave jumped ahead of here, and that's okay, though. If the takeaway from Matthew 24 is, well, you can't know the timing, so it doesn't really matter, and so, because the problem won't be in my lifetime, so I, I don't have to think about that, right? That's, that's the wrong takeaway. So there's ways to error this of two different ways. There's one error of, oh, I can figure out this timing, and so, and there's another, and, and so I, I can know exactly, so I can just plan exactly for what this timing is. The other error is I can't figure out the timing, so it really doesn't matter, so I don't have to plan in that light, right? So, so there's errors really on both sides that can cause there. Um, and, and so the emphasis is not, you can't know, so it doesn't matter. As Dave said, the, the emphasis, you, you can't know, so it could be any time, so you should always live being prepared. That, that's the point here. Um, in fact, that, that we see in the New Testament is picked up on that point. And, and over, look over at 2 Peter. I don't think I put this in your notes, but I've um, been working through 2 Peter a lot recently uh, just for, for, for a project. And, uh, you know, it, it's just interesting where it's almost like, I, I don't want to say that, that the false teachers in 2 Peter are taking or necessarily quoting Jesus' words, but you can see how they could be quoting this idea of um, you just don't know when that Jesus is coming, when the judgment's coming with them, and it hasn't happened yet. So it seems like it's just going to keep going on that way. So why worry about these things? Right? That, that's the, the, the false teaching that he's dealing with in 2 Peter, that he's warning them about, that he's warning them to don't fall into that, stand firm in the, in, in the truth, is this idea about the return of, of the Lord. That, that yes, that Jesus is returning. Yes, the judgment is coming. And so therefore, live in light of that. I mean, he says that really, if you look in chapter three, um, this is now the second later that I'm writing to you, beloved, and both of them I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of our Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation." For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of those, uh, these, the word uh, that then existed was deluged with water and perished. And by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exists are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction for the ungodly. So it's interesting. What Peter does is he takes the same, John and I had a good discussion a couple weeks ago about Jesus saying, talking about the days of Noah. When Jesus talked about the days of Noah, Jesus talking about the days of Noah in the sense of normal life's going to continue. Normal life's going to continue because no one knows the exact day that it's, it's going to come, 
right? And so there's this expectancy that comes from that. Now, Peter used the same illustration, right? That, that, that um, this idea of that the heavens and being formed out of water, but the deluge was coming, but Peter's using it in a different way. Same illustration, but he's applying it differently in the sense of saying, but if, if you use that as an excuse of you don't know, if you can use that excuse of people are just going to do whatever they want to do, you're fooling yourselves because the judgment is coming and, it, and it's definite. And it's, it's definite in a way that you, you need to li- start living like that it's coming soon. And so, um, so it's interesting that they both are using the Noah account, but they're using it in slightly different ways there. Um, but really, there's this, that's, that's the idea is that, that, that's not, that the two errors that we can make is one is thinking that you have the day pinned down and, the, and so, and the other is thinking it's not pinned down in such a way that it doesn't matter how you live. The, the point is, 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 is really comes the idea of, of, as Dave said, of how, how you live. The, the, the New Testament teaching is that it's indefinite but imminent. That's really the, 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 the feeling. It's indefinite. Anyone who claims to know it's this day or this month or this year or this decade, well, they, they're claiming they know more than Jesus. But New, New Testament believers have always lived and should always live in that, that expectation that it is soon. Um, that leads to, leads to an interesting side note. As, as I was studying through this several weeks ago, I, 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 just, I think the other indefiniteness area of this is dealing with this aspect of the parousia. And I want to set up a couple things for where we're going to go next week. Because what tends to be what tends to happen, it's interesting, and it happens by people of different theological positions regarding the end times, is they'll use this idea as, a, as fodder for attacking other positions. And here's what I mean. So there are some, uh, this idea of indefiniteness and eminence and some of these things that we're talking about. Um, so there's some of a, our, our church, which I, I'm jumping ahead, but hopefully we can, if, you, if this confuses you, then you can just, well, you'll catch up in next week. But our church would be looking at, if you're thinking of a timeline and you're thinking of here's the cross and here's, um, here's the church age um, and here's the millennium and here's the new heavens, new earth timeline, right? Jesus, Jesus died, buried, rose again. You have Acts, you have the church age. That's what we're living in now. And that, that at the end of the age, there's the return of Christ, there's the millennium, and there's new heavens and new earth, right? Um, and then there's this, this, this aspect of a, because we'll put T for tribulation for right now. So for, for our church holding a, um, the doctrine of our church holding a pre-millennial return of Christ, pre-millennial return of Christ, and a pre-tribulation rapture, of the church, the, there is a criticism that's given. I think Millard Erickson in his theology does this. Um, is that saying that when you look at this description of the parousia and this expectation and this, this not knowing, that that is its... Um, let me see. Let me try to remember his argument. Um, sorry. Um, okay. He's saying that when you look at Jesus talking about, and this is beyond Matthew, Matthew when we're looking there, is that looking at these parables of Jesus' return, the return of Christ, that in the parables, it's not communicating this aspect of a double return, 
right? Because they're looking at that the, in a pre-mill, pre-trib, there's this idea of Christ's return to gather his people, and then Christ returns again uh, to, as, as victor and conqueror of, of the world. And so there are some that would argue against that from what we're talking about of these descriptions of this return of Christ, of this, this parousia, is that they'd say, well, Jesus doesn't seem to, ta- to split this up. Jesus seems to talk about that this is all in one package. But here's the problem when we do that, is that we are, we're pushing this idea of these definite and indefinitenesses too far. Because it's a caricature of this position here to say that, um, sorry, I, I had this and then I was, I had this all planned for two weeks ago and then we didn't get there. So <laughs> I have to, okay. Because that's not how, when we're looking forward this way with these prophecies, we're looking at in the sense of, you know, you look at like mountain ranges, right? When Jesus is describing these events, it's not that Jesus is, yes, Jesus is not trying to delineate between a first and a second coming and what is first coming and what is second coming. He's describing this, this whole event here as this coming return. So to say that the interpretation of these things and not trying to sort them out is, is a argument against this. It doesn't really make sense because these are really all together and you don't see them separated out until you really get to other doctrines. So it's, it's, it's really a false caricature of that idea because the parousia, we see that it can be classified not just as this return, but we can see that there are, are two, you know, you can include both of those aspects in it. And I, I'd say the other way is that there's some who would be of our position, of our church, who would look at a single return, um, or actually this way, a single return of Christ, where all this happens in one instance, and they would say, well, then that can't be like a thief. And Jesus talks about like a thief, and if, it's, if you have stuff of the tribulation before, then it's, it's, you can't describe it like a thief, but you're making the same argument. You're having the same problem of that when Scripture views all of this, it's viewing it as one event. Is it elongated? Are there multiple aspects that can happen in that event? Yes. People of every position will hold that, right? Whether there's a, a pre-trib, post, whether pre-trib, whether post-trib, whether pre-millennial, whether amillennial, there, there's an aspect of saying there, there is a, a multitude of mountains in that event. And so to argue based on the interpretation of some of those individual aspects of those parables, that it, it proves one against the other, I think that you're actually arguing, everyone argues against their own view. And so I, I'm just setting up a few things that as we get into those discussions next week, that there are good ways to, to evaluate and criti- criticize and, and, and evaluate the different positions versus um, how that works with the millennium and, and the rapture and some of those things. But dealing with some of these descriptions that Jesus gives in the parables of... Um, that we're looking about in, in the, the imminence of his return and the, 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 the suddenness of his return and the, um, the, the meaning of his return, those are incorporated by all the views. And so I don't, I don't know if that makes, made sense or not, but I, just, I noticed that of people of different positions are using the exact same argument to attack each other. That, that, that's what, that, I guess that's my point, is that People whether of, of opposite positions are looking at the exact same text and saying, see, that disproves the other position. But they're making the exact same argument. And, they, and they're blind to how their argument actually, if you were to able to apply that, would actually disprove their own position as well. That's just a faulty argument. There's good ways to think about this. We're going to get there. But arguing in the sense of 
the, the unknownness of the parousia and the, and the imminence of the parousia and the imagery of the parousia that it's going to be significant and that it's a glorious return and, um, and the suddenness of it, to, to say, all positions would say all of that's incorporated. All that is a, like looking towards a mountain range that, that has all these mountains involved. All, all the positions would say, when we talk about what is the parousia, what is the return of Christ, all positions would say all of this, right? Would say that, there, that that's true of all of it. So, so to try to then say, well, well that, they, they're only accounting for this part. Well, no, that's not, that's not a true, true criticism because every position would say, all of that's included. Does that, does that help? I don't know if that, so some people are saying, I, I just, not, I'm not there. And we're going to look at those. I just want to set it up because, and we'll bring that back up as we look at things next week. I just, as we're talking about, I guess my point is, is that these ideas about the parousia, about the return of Christ being um, definite, definite and, 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 and full, you know, fully glorious and, and also indefinite and, and, and sudden and, uh, you know, every position holds that. And so, so to use those things and say, well, this position doesn't really believe that, um, you know, that the, the, the pre-mill, pre-trip position doesn't really believe in a full glorious return of Christ because they're trying to separate that out. That's, that's, a, that's a wrong judgment. That the, the post-trib or the ah-mill position, they don't really believe in a suddenness. Well, no, that's, that's a caricature of that position. That those are just wrong ways because you would say that the things that we're talking about are agreed by everyone. And so to try to bring those accusations, it really actually, it, it's, what's the word when um, you're, you're trying to attack someone else and it actually reveals the fault in yourself? Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't, but that's, that's basically what it does. You're, you're, you're actually applying a logic that would actually undermine all positions. Yeah. And there is separate events. Yeah, there is. They are separate events in the sense of, but the way, yeah. When Jesus looks forward and le- Jesus is looking forward to his coming and this, this idea of, we, we, ter- we call it the, par- I, I say parousia. That's, that's Paul, that's the word. Jesus loves to use that word. What is the parousia? It's all of this. And, and so to say, well, this, this doesn't account for the parousia. Well, Every view would say it's all of this. It's, it, it's viewing a, a whole mountain range that all looks like one giant mountain together because it's, that's, that is the Rocky Mountains. Now, when you get to the base of the, the, the first rock, of the Rocky Mountains, you're going to see, well, oh, there's a lot of them. And there's some distance in between of them. And there's some distinctiveness between them. But when you're looking at the Rockies from a distance, it just looks like one big picture, right? And that's, that's the parousia. And so, so parousia coming, means... Coming, means coming and presence. The coming and present, but that's, that's Jesus, one of Jesus' favorite terms, one of Paul's favorite terms, this idea of this coming, this return, is that, that when Jesus talks about it, he's applying it to the whole picture. And, 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 um, and so we want to be careful when we say, well, this whole picture, see, this view doesn't apply the whole picture to just one of their parts. None of the, view apply, none of the views apply the whole picture to just one of their parts. They're all looking at this and saying, there's a whole picture. Now, there's, they, they would differ how that whole picture works, but none of them are, are disagreeing with Jesus' statement, at least, at, least at, at, the, at the heart of it. And are there some people that you could hear a teacher that would say, maybe, yeah. Are there some that would say, oh, you know, it just, it just, Jesus doesn't mean this here. Maybe, I'm sure you could find something on YouTube because there's all kinds of crazy people on YouTube. Um, <laughs> but, but in general, yeah, that, 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 that we would view Jesus as viewing that whole as one glorious event. And, and that is... Um, and, and all positions would hold, hold so to that. So in all 
We won't, yes. We won't know the timing of, yeah. And so, so we, don't, we won't know the timing. And, and so then you're looking at how, to, how do you look? Yeah, yes, yes. Not to go too far to Robin Trump. Yeah. I think there's real genuine, I think there's genuine and good disagreements in the sense of, of trying to think through what scripture has revealed. What I'm trying to, to, to set up, and, and, and really this whole lesson two weeks ago and today, is setting up this idea of, of charity, right? Of real charity of, let's, let's focus most on what we do agree about, yeah. and, and recognizing that having charity with our fellow brothers and sisters who disagree, especially on this issue of, of being able to hone in on what is the disagreement and what's not the disagreement. The disagreement is not this aspect of, of, of that Jesus is coming in a both definite and indefinite way, right? Everyone's going to agree on that. It, it, everyone's going to agree on, because we're all, all positions are looking at, when, when Jesus talks about his coming, his return, they're, they're looking at their interpretation of all these events as what that means. And to say, well, the pre-tribs, you know, just, just have, pre-tribs just have this rapture, so when you, just look, when you just look at the rapture, it doesn't account for Jesus' teaching. But the pre-tribs would not say, we're not only just looking at the rapture, we're looking at the whole thing. And the same thing with, with aspects of, of those who are um, post-trib, the same thing with those who are Amil as well. And so there's, there's just a, there's a, there's a, there's a, a charity we need to have in that because, uh, and, and recognizing that there is an agreement here. So. The, uh, what you're showing there, would that be including that you will be discussing the Great Tribulation, mm-hmm. three and a half years mm-hmm. uh, separated? Yeah, and so, so again, all views would hold to that, to, to the Tribulation. Now, some views... Would particularly the Amil view would disagree on, on the interpretation of what is the three and a half years, right? They would they would disagree in that interpretation, and we'll get there. Um, but they would view it in the sense of when it's talking about that there's this tribulation that brings about that is that, that brings about his return. All views are going to all views are going to agree on that, right? And so so we want to start with the charity and the understanding that there is more commonality. There's more unity than disunity. There's more agreement than disagreement when we look at these 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 aspects. And so, um, now there are significant disagreements. We're going to get there. But I, I think that you can't really look at those disagreements well until you have the, the understanding and the charity that comes from the, what they are the agreements. So, does that help? You guys tracking of what I'm trying to say here? All right. Yeah. It seems like the different views is, I guess I'd ask, what is the value of that? And, or just yeah. Trying to figure things out, and I don't know, takes away from the overall. Yeah, I think it can, right? And that's what that's where I'm going to next is, is really the aspect of what is what is Scripture's point in this, and we're going to look at. The point is not so that I would know. The point is that 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 knowledge would affect my my holiness, that it would affect my life, and that's where we're going. So I would say. If there is a focus on that to a point where you are undercutting the purpose, there's a problem. Yeah. Now, is, there a, is, there, is it good to say God has revealed these things? We should do our best to try to figure out what that is. Yeah. Yes. Okay. 
And that's where the, that's the argument of why why look at the disagreements, why try to work through disagreements, why try to look, you know work through these things and, and look at, and, and look at the fine tunes of of, of 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 what are the timing in some of these aspects, because God's revealed it, because God has revealed these aspects that it is we do want to work through the best we, to the best of our ability of what that means. So we want to know that. But at ever a point, and that's where the next point is, is that if it ever gets to a point where that becomes primary and the, our, our, our expectation and our, the, the change of our sanctification that comes to that becomes secondary, we've missed the picture. We've missed what the Bible's trying to do because the Bible is trying to get us to think about these things for a purpose, not just of having our timelines figured out. Yeah not just having our end times maps figured out. The point is that, that, that it would apply directly to our own sanctification. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really this, this idea. So first of all, we see that, that what is the point of these things? And again, that, that there's, there's unanimous agreement amongst Christians. Is that first of all, that there should be Christian expectation. That if you're studying these things, if you're thinking about things, you're debating these things, and there's not expectation, you missed it. And again, every Christian view views these with Christian as a motivation for Christian expectation. Look at Philippians 3.20. Where, and, and Paul just dots this throughout his letters and so do the, the general epistles as well. Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's, he's awaiting it. As he thinks about Heaven, as he thinks about going to heaven, as he thinks about what it means for you know broader scope of Christ's return and 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 the new heavens, new earth, the the point is that there's a a awaiting, right? That there's an expectation of this, there's an eagerness of this, right? Look look at the conclusion of Revelations, right? Revelation book that talks about what that what what is coming at the end. I, what is the point of it? If you read Revelation, if you study Revelation and, and you don't end in the same conclusions that Paul ends, and I'm not talking about timing of these things, but why does, not Paul, but why does John tell you the timing of these things? Why does Jesus reveal the timing of these things? Well, look at, look at how the letter concludes. What's the point of this letter? Is not to start making predictions about when the timing is going to happen. The point of the letter is he who testifies of the, to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Right? Or as, as Paul would say in, in 1 Corinthians 16, Maranatha, come soon. Right? And, and so there, there is this, there should be this Christian expectation that, that when we study these things, the point is not to puff us up in knowledge. The point is to drive our hearts to expectation of his return. I've said before that every generation of Christians that's, that's lived has said, maybe in our lifetime. And that is the right mentality. We don't know the time. I'm not saying surely in my lifetime, but I want to expect that maybe in my lifetime. And it has always been right to have that expectation and to say that, right? It's not right to set a date, 0.000 batting average for setting a date, but always having that expectation. If you're not thinking that, you don't understand eschatology. It doesn't matter how much you study it. It doesn't matter how many Bible studies you've been at. If that's not where your heart's at when and after you study it, then you missed it. 
That's the, is this Christian expectation. And what should that Christian expectation do as we await the, the, the coming and the return of the Savior is that should do a, a couple of things that we see in Scripture. Um, and I'll point out two. First of all is Christian sanctification. That when we think about eschatology, when we think about the return of Christ, when we think about things of the end times, one of the results that that should bring is personal sanctification, personal motivation to holiness. Uh, turn to 1 Thessalonians 5. Brought this up a few weeks ago. First Thessalonians 5, as I said, if we did not have 1 Thessalonians 5 in the Bible, we might see hints of the rapture, but we have no idea what to call it because we wouldn't have the, that, that what was translated into Latin of the word rapture, and we would not have a definite verse to point to describing the rapture. This is, so this is an important passage as we think about the, the, the end times. So verses 1 through 3, it, it's contrasting believers with non-Christians who don't expect Christ's return. And so Jesus, Paul uses Jesus' own words and talking about this thief of the night. He doesn't quote Jesus, but he's talking in, in similar language. And then verses four and five, he's, uh, he's not, verses four and five, he's not saying we know when, but that there is a, a, an uncertainty, an, an indefiniteness about the timing of this. Uh, but it's not a surprise to us that because we're expecting his return. So then look at verse 10. Um, for, let me go back to verse, verse nine here. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, so conclusion, what do you take away with thinking about Christ's return, with thinking about the end times, with thinking about eschatology, with thinking about the rapture? Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you're you're undoing. The point of these things is it would encourage us to build, build ourselves up in holiness and to build up one another in holiness, right? So if we're talking about the end times, but it's not for the purpose of building people up, of encouraging one another to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, of spurring one another on towards holiness, we've missed the point. You might have their facts right. When all said and done, and Jesus returned and we see how it all worked out, you might have had all your facts right, but you got it wrong because you missed the point. When we discuss disagreements, what's the point about discussing disagreements? Is that we would, we would hopefully be building one another up towards greater holiness. That they would affect our lives more. That, that is the point of this. Uh, Titus 2 as well. What are we looking at? We're, we're getting close. Uh, um, look at Titus 2 real quick. Titus 2 verses 11 through 15 says... Um, Nope, that's, there we go, yeah. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training, the, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our hope of the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what does that appearing and that waiting bring? We see right before it, right? It's training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, live self-controlled in, 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 in the present day. So, when we think about the end times, we think about these aspects, the return of Christ, we think about even aspects of it. What, is that, what should that cause us to do? Not make predictions of timing of his coming, not just get puffed up because my position on the timing's right and someone else is wrong. If it's not affecting the way that you're living, you got it wrong. 
That the goal of it is that it would affect the way that we live. Matthew 25, that, that whole aspect of these parables, including the parable of the talents, is in light of the, the master's return. And these are all, all, all in those pictures that it brings about this aspect of sanctification, of, of holiness. That's the point of eschatology. The point of eschatology is holiness, is sanctification. One last thing. Turn to 2 Thessalonians 1. I, because we see that the, the, the way that the New Testament authors use these discussions of Christ's return, even in the discussions of, um, discussions of, of esch, esch, eschatology is yes for sanctification, but I also see another major ish, another emphasis on this. 2 Thessalonians 1 verses 5 through 10. This, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire and inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints, to be marveled at among you all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. What's Paul doing here as he's talking about these images of Christ's return, these images of the end times, these images of eschatology? Let's think about his logic. Who's he writing to? Who's he writing to? He's writing to Christians. He's not writing to non-Christians saying, you better turn around because judgment's coming. That's true. That's not a non-true fact, but that's not what Paul's doing here. Paul here is writing to Christians because why? What condition are they in? Suffering. He's writing to Christians who are suffering and he's saying judgment's coming. Well, that's not a good way to deal with suffering people. Come on, Paul, you're, you have a pastor's heart, right? When, when, you know, when people are suffering, when John and Judy lost their house, you go, it's okay, because you know what? Judgment's coming. <laughs> what? What is, what, is Paul's, what is Paul's aspect here? There's two aspects. One, I think, it's, it's that, that, that I think there's suffering from probably some aspects of persecution, right? And there is judgment coming, but that's not really his main point in this text. He's not, even ta- he's not talking about where the suffering's coming from. He's talking about suffering in general. But here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, judgment's coming. Yes, you are suffering. And, and he's going to talk throughout Thessalonians. What is the temptation in suffering? To give up. Well, the temptation is, is to give up. What he's emphasizing is to have the right attitude and not to say, you know what? It's going to be better just to give up and, and get relief and just do what the world does. Mm-hmm. It'll make the suffering go away. And, and he's saying, no, you do suffer because this is not what matters. It's that day that matters. I want, you need to have the right attitude that, that the suffering right now is not what is the most important. It's what is happening on that day and where are you going to be? Are you going to be that there is judgment coming? Are you going to be, verse 10, of those who are glorified with him? Right? And so, so, um, so Paul's telling these Christians about the end times and about the judgment so that they would persevere. It is Paul's means to bring about their perseverance. It's a motivation. He's saying, hang on. Hang on. It's bad. It's tough. But Christ is returning. And where are you going to be on that day? That's what matters. 
Uh, James says a similar thing. James is talking to people who are suffering, likely there's an economic oppression, and, and, and he's saying that they need to endure patiently in suffering. Oh. Is that right? What? Oh, his foot's asleep. All right. All right. Bill, will you go check and just make sure and... Oh, Dave's got it. Okay. Oh, probably better, yeah. Um, but James talks about enduring patience until the, the coming of the Lord. And then one last thing. We're going to look at Revelation in the coming weeks. And, and there is a lot of Revelation that, is, we're looking at, that John is looking forward, right? But we have to remember that Revelation is, it's apocalyptic literature, it's end-time literature, but it is described, at least at the beginning, as letters. And letters to who? To churches, right? To real people, not just to theologians who want to talk about eschatology. And what were we seeing about these churches? Now, whether that they were definite churches, metaphorical churches, there's some, but they're, they're, they're meant to be writ, written to real Christians living real Christian lives in the midst of what kind of situation? What were those churches enduring? Almost to all of them. Persecution and suffering, right? And what? And, and, so we look at what is one of the points. If you're taking away from Revelation timelines, but not taking away from Revelation, this is meant to encourage people that are suffering and struggling that, you know what? You need to persevere. It's worth it. It's worth it. You're, you might have, again, some of the details right when it's all said and done, but you're going to miss why God gave us those details. It's for our perseverance, for our encouragement to persevere to the end. That, that, that God's, these truths of perseverance, these warnings also are God's means of bringing about our perseverance to the end. And so here's the point. That, that we know as we look at these things, we want to, two, two points and takeaways for this. One, from all this, this discussion of Christ's return. One is that there's more that un, un, uh, unites genuine Christianity than divides on this issue. And, and, we should, the, 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 and what is, is, is most important, what drives the purpose, those purposes of sanctification, those purposes of, of perseverance, are those things that unite us. Is it wrong to, to work through the disagreements on some of the details of the time? It's not wrong, because it's what God has revealed. We want to we look at that. We want to dive into that. And we want to, to handle rightly what God has revealed. But we don't want to miss the main point. And we don't want to miss, especially the main point, that it's not just about a timeline. It's not just about something you figure out that you can put in a theology book. The point of eschatology is, is personal and is practical. It is to bring about holiness. It is to bring about perseverance. And so as we discuss these things, if there's ever a point where that's not what we're seeing happen in our own heart, we're not thinking about it right. Even if we have the details right, we're not thinking about it right. That, that's the goal of these things. Any final questions, thoughts, comments? Yeah. I have a neighbor who is determined that the church will go through the rapture. Mm -hmm. Or the tribulation? Or, yeah, that's mm -hmm. yeah, tribulation. And so, because of that, since the tribulation has not happened, mm -hmm. Jesus cannot come yet. Mm -hmm. Which is, and I keep telling him, you can't think that way. Mm -hmm which is what you just pointed out, mm -hmm. that you need to be expectant of it mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and so, and we'll look at this next week a little bit, but I think that there's some, some 
I guess not well, well thought through ideas. I think that when that idea is presented well, it's thinking this idea of when, when this happens, the way that Jesus describes that is um, it, 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 it's all, when it, when it comes, it comes. I mean, if, if you're going to be in that position. Yeah, well, you also can't be hard-nosed in the sense of, well, that hasn't happened yet, so I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. You're, you're actually, and I would say that's, that's a, a, he may think he holds that position, but that's a really faulty view of the position, right? Um, it, it, it would be like someone who holds the position of this church and says, ah, it doesn't really matter because I'll have a second chance after the rapture anyways. You're missing the point of it, right? right? You might have some details right, but you actually are wrong because you're really missing the point. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, if it's yep. over today, you know, it might be today's today's the day. Exactly. So. Yeah. Yeah. And so that even beyond that, as I said, that it ties in that pers- personal eschatology that, that that yeah, this that we could be facing the Lord any day, right? Any time. Yeah. All right. Let's pray. Then uh, next week we're going to get into the stuff that I know that that is 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 that. When you said, when I said we were talking about eschatology, you thought that I'd dive right into it's it, it's the stuff of dealing with the millennium and the tribulation and the the rapture, but I, I wanted to, to lay this foundation first that we would understand those better and that we'd have greater charity as we look at uh, uh, some even positions that would differ than ours. So, but let me pray for for us, Father. We just thank you. We thank you that you have given us your word for our good, that we may be equipped, Lord, adequate, equipped for every good work. And so, Father, we pray that that would be true, that as we think about these things, first of all, that we would think about these things, and secondly, that that would motivate us, Lord, to, to love, to, to good deeds, to sanctification, to holiness, to building one another up, and to perseverance, Lord. And so we thank you, Lord, that you have equipped us in these ways. So we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.